thank you for joining us for week one of Pieces. This is the first podcast we've done since May. It's a little bit wild to think that, but I know we're going to kick off a new six-week series uh, today that's going to serve as a snapshot of the book of Job. I know many of us either love or hate the book of Job, but uh, I hope that it provides comfort and encouragement to anyone hearing this experiencing a difficult circumstance. Have you ever felt broken or have you ever wondered why things turned out the way they did? Many of us have thought things just like this. Job's story is often our story. And yet, even in the midst of pain and suffering, we can trust in the power of our Creator. And so, I have a few questions for you as we kind of start off uh, week one of pieces. How do you think Job's initial attitude towards his suffering affected the rest of his story? Um, also, what can uh, the passages that we're going to read in Job teach us about God's role in our suffering? Also, what is one promise from God about suffering that comforts you, which maybe is a little bit of a weird question. And lastly, have you ever experienced a great loss? And how did your faith survive that? And so if you will, uh, go ahead and look at Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 22. And I'm going to be reading now the New Living Translation. It says this, There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and he stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that area. Verse 4. Job's sons would take turns preparing feasts in their homes, and they would also invite their three sisters to celebrate with them. When these celebrations ended, Sometimes after several days, Job would purify his children. He would get up early in the morning and offer a burnt offering for each of them. For Job said to himself, Perhaps my children have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. Verse 6. One day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser Satan came with them. Where have you come from? the Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord. I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and he stays away from evil. Satan replied to the Lord, Yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look at how rich he is. But reach out and take away everything he has, and surely he will curse you to your face. Verse 12. All right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but do not harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house, A messenger arrived at Job's home with the news. Your oxen were plowing with the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabaeans raided us, they stole all the animals and killed all the farmhands, and I am the only one who escaped to tell you this. Verse 16, while he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with the news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all your shepherds, and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. 
Whilst he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived. And at this point in the story, we're kind of thinking, are you serious? What more can happen to this guy? But the third messenger arrived with the news. Three bands of Chaldean raiders had stolen your camels and killed your servants, and I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. And lastly, while he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with the news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's home, and suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed, and all your children are dead. And I am the only one who escaped to tell you. And this is really important, this next part. Verse 20, Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head, and he fell to the ground in worship. And he said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. And I know that as we read that, we can walk away with a few uh, topics, of course, things like suffering, things like grief, uh, and also things like worship. Uh, The reality is when we read this, sometimes bad things happen to good people, and good people don't understand why. Sometimes good things happen to bad people, and we don't understand how that's fair. We ask ourselves, what's the deal? God, what are you doing right now? And that's really the point of the book of Job. So let's break this book down for a moment. Job is a very profound and unique book found in the Old Testament. The story is set in an obscure land far from Israel called Us. It is also interesting that no character in the Job story is an Israelite. They're simply not Jewish. That's very unique to this story. The author, who by the way is anonymous, doesn't place the story in any clear period in ancient history. As we read through the book, this all can seem a little bit intentional. In fact, it's very intentional. But it's as if the author doesn't want us to be distracted by the historical questions. So he focuses on the story of Job and the questions raised by Job's experience of suffering. The book after that is pretty much straightforward as we see Job, his four friends, Job's wife, God, and Satan all interacting with one another. More characters are introduced in the story later. The book is highly poetic and forces you to ponder what the overall message will be. The book tackles also some of life's biggest questions, some that we still ask today. But in our reading, the story opens up with our main character, which is Job. We are told that he is blameless and that he honors God and he has lots of wealth. Now, whenever you hear those things together, you're probably thinking, in Scripture, those don't happen very often together, do they? They really don't. I mean, think about in the New Testament, the rich young ruler and Jesus for a moment. But we really don't see this much in Scripture about somebody being blameless and having lots of wealth. So that's a little bit unique. But as soon as Job is introduced, we are transported somewhere different. We're transported to the heavenly realms where God is holding court with his angelic staff team to discuss how they're going to run the world. Among the heavenly beings, we see a figure called Satan, which in Hebrew means the one opposed. And I want you to kind of think of a court scene here as we read this next part. Uh, Especially in the scripture, God presents Job as a truly righteous man, and the accuser challenges God's policy of rewarding righteous people. He says Job obeys God only because he blesses him with prosperity. Does this seem like a familiar theme to you? If Job were to suffer, they would discover how righteous he really is. In other words, Satan is really telling God here, 
watch me prove you all wrong. Job will prove you wrong. If you throw a little bit of suffering his way, he will turn his back on you. So we see that God allows Satan, the accuser, to inflict suffering upon Job. And at this point, that's when we ask our first big question. Our first big question here is, why would God do that? Because this decision cost Job his wealth, it cost him his comfort, but most of all, it cost him his family. So, as readers, we read on in this story, assuming that the book will eventually answer our question of why would God do that? And maybe it'll answer the question of why does God allow good people to suffer? But you'll discover, if you haven't already, that nothing in the book of Job ever answers that mystery. And you might find that a little bit discouraging. But the beginning of the book is setting up a very different question for us to ask that will become the focus of Job and also his friends. And this is that question. The question is, does God run the universe by the strict principle of justice or not? This is the real question explored in the book of Job. You don't discover the answer to the question until the very end of the book and its conclusion. But often humanity has asked, why is there suffering in this world? But Job would have us ask that question this way. We live in an amazing world that is not designed to prevent suffering, so why would we prevent it? So in light of that, we might have even told God things like this. God, you're so unfair. You're so unjust. I demand an explanation from you. These questions are probably ones that we've asked before or we've heard. But the reality is Job asked God all of these questions. But God's response sounds like this. You're not the one in the position to make that claim. I invite you to trust my wisdom. So the book works in a lot of ways, but by most standards, people generally believe that if you're wise and good, you will experience success and reward particularly from God. But if you are evil or wicked, then you'll have disaster or punishment. In essence, what goes around comes around, or karma. But this is not the way Job shows God and his nature. Job acts as an invitation to trust God and his wisdom. This is very different from our thinking. Notice how Job can't see the events in the heavenly realms whenever we read through the scripture. He only sees his circumstances. We too can't see life from God's perspective, but we must trust him anyway. This is particularly helpful when undergoing trial. Long-term vision always allows us to endure short-term suffering. I want you to think about this for a minute. Nobel Peace Prize winner and Auschwitz survivor Ellie Wessel passed away on July 2nd of 2016 at the age of 87 years old. He's remembered for many things, but one of them was his ability to share his experience in the concentration camp in books and in speeches so that the horrors of the Holocaust would never be forgotten. He said this, If I survived, it must be for some reason. So I must do something with my life. Life is too serious to play games anymore. Because of my place, someone else could have been saved. And so I speak for that person. On the other hand, I know I cannot. Though it's unclear, though, as we read that quote, where a Wessel stood in his faith, he recognized that all he had experienced could be redeemed for some good. 
And this is truly the point of the Job story. It's it's asking us. Yes, we know that life is bad sometimes. 2020 has been a rough year for a lot of us. But it's saying, how can we redeem those bad, those negative, those terrible things, and how can they be used for good? This kind of reminds me of a song.、Uh, it's a song called "When Trials Come," and the words say this: "It says, 'When trials come, no longer fear, for in our pain our God draws near to fire a faith more worth than gold, and there His faithfulness is told, and there His faithfulness is told.' And think about that: that when trials come to us." That's really when, when God comes through for us the absolute,、uh, in the best way, because the reality is that God is our everlasting hope through all circumstances. He is our hope through things like Sabaeans and fires and Chaldeans and windstorms. Those were Job's. Yours might sound very different. Yours might sound like financial struggles, or maybe you're in a difficult relationship, and maybe your children aren't doing well、uh, during coronavirus. Or maybe you don't know how you're going to keep the lights on. They might sound very different than these, but the truth is still the same. God is our everlasting hope through all circumstances. And so I want you to think about that list in your mind,、uh, specifically the the unpaid light bill, or the car that's been broke down and you don't have enough money to fix it. Uh, or that unreconciled relationship that just hasn't gone the right way. I want you to think about how could God show up powerfully in that situation, and how could you turn that negative into a positive? I think back to our first few questions right before we started this, and think about this: How do you think Job's initial attitude towards his suffering affected the rest of his story? I think about that in our lives, right? That our initial attitude towards suffering affects our story too. If we have a very negative view or try to get out of suffering, that's going to affect the rest of our story. It might, unfortunately, even affect our reconciliation process or our ability to get over things. Also, think about how can this passage, specifically in Job chapter one, how can it teach us about God's role in our suffering? Now I know again this is a difficult, difficult question to ask, but how can God use suffering in our lives so that we can grow closer to Him, to be made more like Him, and also to bring others to Him? What is one promise from God about suffering that comforts you? I know that one of my favorite promises in the entire Bible is the fact that God doesn't leave me or forsake me, and I hope that. That's yours too, and also, have you experienced a great loss? And how did your faith survive? I know that many of you listening might be thinking, "Yeah, my faith has endured so much over the years," but the reality is, you still have it, and thank God for that. And I know that God is faithful wherever we are because God is our everlasting hope through all circumstances. Again, through Sabians, fires, Chaldeans, windstorms. And our modern problems too. And one last question for us to think about as we kind of close tonight: Have you ever unknowingly judged someone else for their suffering? Believe that it has been a result or some hidden sin in their life. And I bring this up because 
we'll see in the next few chapters as we read on in the Job story that this becomes a huge idea because Job's friends they start really criticizing him in a lot of ways uh, yes they're caring for him too but also it's this idea that there must be something sinful in your life therefore that's why this punishment is coming to you that's why this trial has come um, that's why your life is not quite where you want it to be and if you would just repent and get right, that things would immediately get better. Um, we see this especially prevalent in the New Testament, especially when Jesus is going around healing people like lepers, uh, those with disabilities and such, because we know that culture, especially during that time, really looked down upon people with disabilities or even leper communities and others because they thought they were sinful. They thought they were unclean. And there was this general concept that you must be that way because you have sin in your life or your parents must have or your grandparents must have. Therefore, that's why you are this way. And I know that sometimes we can think of suffering kind of like this, that I'm enduring this because of that thing many years ago where God is punishing me. But the reality is when we look at the Job story, we realize that's, that that's not quite true. We realize that God loves us and he's with us and he can always turn negatives into positives. He can always turn suffering into His glory. And so I just want to encourage you this evening with that, that maybe if you're really in the middle of a really bad place or a hard time, that don't think of it as punishment. Think of it as opportunity. Think of it as a time uh, in history that God can show Himself absolutely real and powerful to you. So I hope that... Um, just asking some of these questions and talking through Job chapter 1 um, is helpful for you. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to put those uh, in the comment section in our podcast or hop on our Facebook page at the Salvation Army of Hot Springs. Uh, I uh, hope, again, that you've enjoyed this, um, and it's good to be back with you, uh, as we haven't been with you since May. I hope uh, you have a great evening, and take care. God bless.